The reading is from Psalm 19, page 552 in the Church Bibles. A Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are much more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you, Jill. Well, as we come to um, God's word, let's um, just repeat that final verse as a prayer. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. We've recently uh, celebrated Easter when Jesus rose from the dead and Remember that first Easter when Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. I'm told also that in the evening Jesus came to his disciples, even though the, the doors were, were locked, he came to them in that, that room. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Oh, of course, one of the disciples wasn't with them. I'm not sure what he was up to, but uh, he wasn't around. And um, when he came back, the other disciples uh, said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, a week later, the disciples were in the house and Jesus appeared to them a second time. 
And this time Thomas was there. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. One of the um, the common objections that people raise about the Christian faith is that they cannot see God. If there really was a God, why hasn't he made himself known more clearly? They've adopted the Thomas approach. I want proof. I want to see God. Those who did see Jesus saw God. As Jesus himself said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. But we don't live at a time when Jesus is still on this earth. So does that mean we can't see God? Well, not at all. There are many ways in which God has enabled us to to see him. Because although on the one hand he's holy, he's he's unapproachable, uh, we're not worthy to come into his presence, yet he wants us to know him. And he's created us to know him. The thing about getting to know someone is that you can only really get to know them to the extent that they are prepared to allow you to to know them. How do we know that God wants uh, us to know him? Because that is why he sent his son. Before he died, Jesus prayed this prayer to his father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus came to give eternal life, and eternal life is to know God. But how has God made himself known to us? How do you get to know anybody? I guess there are three common ways, aren't there? One is to observe what people do, just to look at them, look at what they they've made to listen to them listen to what they say to meet their friends and it's the same with God we can see God we can know something of God in the the world he's created and in which we are now living we can see and know something of God when we we meet people whose lives have been transformed through an encounter with God and we can see and know God leading and listening to his words, which reveal all he wants for us to know about him. Well, the first two of those is creation, uh, transformed lives, we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. But today we're going to focus on seeing God in his word. In Hebrews 1, we're told this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. It's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The Bible is, as we know, made up of different types of writing. We have the law, we have the the prophets, the the wisdom literature, the the gospels, the, 
the epistles. But in each of these different types of writing, God is speaking. And as he speaks, he's revealing something of himself. As we read God's word, as we read the Bible, what we begin to see is that God is opening his heart to us. He's speaking sincerely, he's speaking graciously, and he actually wants to be friends with us. That is the amazing thing, isn't it? That the God of the universe should actually want to be friends with us. So let's turn to Psalm 19 and see what we learn of God through his word. We're looking at this sort of in reverse order, if you like. Next week we're going to look at um, the first half of the psalm. But today we're looking at the second half starting at verse 7. And look at the different uh, descriptions of God's word here. We have the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the decrees. And in each case it's emphasised that these come from the Lord. The covenant name for God, the relational name for God. Different from how God is described in the first six verses, the creator God. And each aspect of God's word here is described in a very good way. Look at how they're described in verse 7. It's perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's radiant, it's pure, it's firm. If was, someone was telling you about themselves, wouldn't those be the sort of things you'd want to know? That actually what they told you was true, you could trust in it? that it was reliable, that what they're revealing of themselves to us is not just a mask that they put on, but it actually is their true selves. Because if we're honest, what we reveal about ourselves to others is often mostly in order to make them think well of us. So we'll tell them funny stories of things that we've done, places we've been, people we've met. The thing about seeing and knowing God is that when he tells something of himself to us, it's actually for our benefit. In Psalm 1 it says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this psalm we see many of the blessings that come from hearing and knowing God in his word. And the first of those blessings is that God's word contains the source of life. Have a look again at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing or reviving. It's probably a more accurate translation, the soul. To revive is to bring life to the soul. The soul is our, our inner being. Because we're born sinful, we're born with a soul that is effectively dead. And the only way in which it can be revived is by God breathing life into it. And that is what the, the Holy Spirit does. He breathes life in us to cause us to be born again. He makes our souls one with God. That can only happen if we know God, if we want to be reconciled to him. And that reconciliation is only possible through accepting the gift of forgiveness that Jesus brought, the one we've just celebrated as we had uh, communion together. That is the gift that the whole of God's word is promising for each one of us. Remember the memory verse which the children learnt last week and during holiday club? It's right up there on the wall as we come in. God showed his love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. 
That life is spiritual life. It comes when we believe that God did everything that was necessary for us to be friends with God again. He sent his son to die in our place, to take the punishment we deserve so our sins can be forgiven. That is the message of the gospel to which the whole of the Old Testament points. The gospel which Jesus proclaimed. The gospel which the apostles testified to. And that is why God's word is described as living, as active. It's not like reading a, an autobiography of someone who's, who's no longer alive. You could read um, Ronnie Corbett's autobiography, uh, High Hopes. And you could get to know something of, of him, of his life. Probably the good old chuckle as well, um, not least in the title of it. Somebody who's six, five foot one. But you won't have the chance to relate to him now, will you, through reading a book about his life. But when you read the Bible, you can relate to God because it is living. It is active. He is living. He is active. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and uh, went 40 days without bread? And the devil came to him and said, turn these stones into bread. You must be hungry. 40 days without food. What did he say? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was why Jesus was effectively going 40 days without food to learn that as a man, our most radical need is the word of God. Food can give physical life. The word of God gives spiritual life. That inner food without which life cannot be fully lived. It's the word of God that brings us life. And once we receive that life, it's the word of God that enables us to continue living, living in fellowship with God. The different names here for God's word bring out different aspects, but really they're all to do with instruction. These are instructions for, for life, for living. And it's probably no coincidence that these come after the first six verses which describe God creating the world. God's created the world, he's put us in it, and now he's giving us instructions for how we're going to live in the world in which he's, in which he's placed us. Because God is creator, he must know best how his creatures can live on the earth that he's created. He's the one who designed it. Another word for following God's instructions for life is wisdom. And what it says here in uh, the second part of... Um, Verse 7, of the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Wisdom is about knowing the best thing to do in a certain situation. The thing is, it's more about, more than just accumulation of knowledge. More than just knowing how the world works, how the human body works. But it's actually, how do you apply that knowledge there's a moral dimension to wisdom. You know, scientists can work out that we are causing global warming. But what you do about that requires wisdom, doesn't it? Businessmen can work out how to make money. But how you ensure people are not exploited in the process requires wisdom. God is the one with perfect wisdom because he's the one who designed and created this world in which we live and the people and creatures who live in it. God knows how 
people get to be the way they are. How they're affected by their, their surroundings. God understands society. God understands groups. He knows the future. He knows uh, how everything will come out in the end. And so what God says to us will be more useful than anything anybody else has to say to us. I'm sure I'm not the only one who hates um, instruction manuals. After all, you've got a brand new gadget. How exciting is that? You just want to get into it. You don't want to read through 50 pages of an instruction manual, do you? That is just tiresome. So what do you do? Well, you usually um, uh, either end up breaking the thing or you work out enough to, to see how it operates, but you don't actually fully appreciate all the benefits, all the things it can do. How many of you have got phones and you don't know half the things a phone can do? Apart from phone and text. And get on the internet if you're lucky. And that's like our relationship with God, because God's word <laughs> is full of riches. It is, as it's described here, more precious than gold. And yet how often do we open the lid, we take out what's on top, and we miss out on all the treasures below? I know the gospel message. I know I'm saved. That's enough. What more do I need? Well, the prophet Daniel said this. He said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. In this life, we can never be perfectly wise. There will always be more to know because there will always be more of God to know and to understand. God's word brings life. It makes us wise. But it also brings us joy. Have a look at verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. If we know God, if we're living in the way in which we were designed to live, then it follows that we will be joyful. And much of our lack of joy comes through making bad decisions, from taking bad advice, from not knowing what decisions to take, or from just not seeing God at work in our lives. And that all comes from ignoring God's word. When we ignore God's word, we stumble in the darkness. The good news is God doesn't want us to stumble. He wants us to see. And so the, the prophet Isaiah, he gave this promise to his people. He said, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. And the way he would do that was by sending Jesus the light of the world. And so the next phrase says, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. As you read God's word, your eyes become open. They're given light to see. As you see what is precious to God, what he delights in, you see God himself. In Mark's gospel, we're told of Jesus healing a blind man in Bethsaida. This is the account of how he healed him. 
Jesus took the blind man by the hands and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Now, Jesus could have healed him in one go if he wanted to. But what he was doing was trying to make the analogy of the process of us seeing God. Sometimes it's slow for us to understand. Just after that episode, Jesus asked Peter, Who, who am I, Peter? And he said, you are the Messiah. He had seen who Jesus was. But what he hadn't seen at that stage was why Jesus had come. What was his mission? That only came later when he received that perfect sight. Spiritual sight is more important physical sight. Now it's not surprising that after the psalmist describes um, these different words of God, he, he compares their value with the most precious thing a human can think of, with gold. He compares their sweetness with the sweetest thing he can think of, with honey. But then as we come to the end of the psalm, there's a change in emphasis. Have a look at the last few verses of, of this psalm. Because now he looks at himself Look at verse 12. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. What is going on here? Well, as the psalmist begins to see God... He's able to see himself more clearly. It's by knowing God that the psalmist has come to know himself. John Calvin, in the opening chapter of his great work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, says this, Man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. Why does he say that? Because as he goes on to point out, most of us probably think we're pretty good people, really. But it's not until we compare ourselves to God's law, which is perfect and trustworthy and right and pure and righteous, that we see just how imperfect, how untrustworthy, how foolish and false and unrighteous we are. It's no good measuring ourselves up against other people or even other Christians. God is the ultimate standard by which we should judge ourselves. And that is part of the purpose of the law for us today. It demonstrates our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness. David He's heard the warnings, the promises, the psalmist here. He knows his own human condition. And he knows there will be errors that he makes. He knows that some of them are unintentional. He knows that some things he will not even know he's done wrong. As he says, who can discern their own errors? He knows that the sinful world in which he lives will tempt him to disobey God's law. And so the only option he has 
is to ask God for his protection and his forgiveness. Forgiveness for the sins that he commits without realizing it. Protection from doing those things he knows are wrong. He says, keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. God's law makes us aware of our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness. It's shown David how far short he's fallen. But it also points to somebody who is perfect in every way, somebody who is able to fulfill God's law perfectly. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the perfect sacrifice because he's innocent of any transgression. And so with that assurance of forgiveness that comes through faith in God's promises, David now knows that he will be considered right with God. And so he says, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. He's crying out to God, the one on whom his life depends, the one who saved him, the one who is Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. And that is a a joyful thing, isn't it? That is a great assurance. It doesn't make him complacent, but it gives him a new meaning, a new purpose in life, and hence the final verse, in which he expresses that desire now to live in accordance with God's word. And so he says, May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May my whole life, in other words, be acceptable to you. He's making that commitment and offering his whole life in faith and obedience. And he acknowledges that he needs the Lord's help to do that. In a a minute, we're going to hear from Philip and Judy about the completion of the the translation of the Bible into the uh, Kassem language. It's been a lifetime's ministry for them. And you may ask yourselves, why have they devoted themselves to this work? Because they've had their eyes open to see God through his word. They want others to experience that same joy. We're going to see some pictures of the the Kasena people receiving the word of God in their own language. And you'll see the joy on their faces. Because they know the word of God is sweeter than honey. They know that it is more precious than gold. Open the pages of God's word. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see God. And I pray that as your eyes are open, his word will become to you more precious than gold. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that in your word we can see you, we can know you. In your word we can find life, life in all its abundance, life in relationship with you. Life as it was created for us to enjoy. Lord, we thank you that we can know you and we want to know you more deeply. So Lord, open our eyes to see you in your word. And as we see you in all your glory, Lord, help us to want to to follow you, to be more obedient to your word in our lives. Keep us from straying. Keep us on the road, Lord, with your word as a light to our feet, as a lamp to our paths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.